A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep. This is Yishan. So I'm curious, how many of you have experience with narcolepsy, or do you know about it? If yourself, your friends, or some of your family members are dealing with narcolepsy, hopefully today's episode will offer some insight to you. Today we are very happy to have Julie Flagger to share with us. Her own experience with the diagnosis, treatment, and how she lived with narcolepsy. Just a little bit background of Julie. So Julie is the president and CEO of Project Sleep, which is internationally recognized patient perspective leader. She also wrote a book,、um, Wide Awake and Dreaming. She received a diagnosis of narcolepsy with cataplexy in 2007. Since then, she was very actively involved in public speaking and、uh, patient support, peer support all over the world. I had the honor to meet her in person during the World Sleep Conference in Vancouver last year,、uh, and the Project Sleep had a booth there to share more of the wonderful work they did. And they had a workshop with a lot of patients diagnosed with narcolepsy to share their experience. It was very touching and inspiring. So let's dive in. Listen to Julie sharing her experience with us. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So I know you are the founder of Project Sleep, and I know you are very active in helping people be more aware of all kinds of sleep problems. So can you share a little bit? I'm so curious. What got you into the field of sleep? What make you so passionate about what you do? Yeah, so I was actually in law school and I was studying art law, something completely different.、Uh, when I was diagnosed myself with narcolepsy with cataplexy, and、um, I had been experiencing symptoms for a few years before that, and it took a few years to figure out what those mysterious symptoms actually were,、um, and that included I was definitely sleepy in school, like I was having a hard time with my law school coursework. And also in college, I would go to the bathroom a lot to wake myself up,、uh, you know, by doing jumping jacks and pinching myself. But I wasn't necessarily like falling asleep in class every day,、uh, so the sleepiness was pretty invisible, I'd say. I was also experiencing times when I was laughing at jokes. My knees started buckling, like almost someone had poked behind my knees, but no one had. And that always felt very strange. And so, as soon as I felt that sensation, I started asking friends,、uh, doctors,、uh, friends in med school,、um, to try to figure out what that could possibly be,、uh, because it was, you know, so peculiar that always when I was laughing, that I was starting to, you know, my knees were buckling, and then my hands were kind of giving out,、uh, and my neck was falling,、um, and so. Um, I was also having experiences
um, at nighttime or if I took a nap during the day where I um, woke up and heard a burglar breaking into my apartment and then saw a man come into my bedroom and like rush towards me with his arms stretched out to my neck like he was going to strangle me and I couldn't move. And then I would look up again and he wasn't there and he never had been there, but it felt extremely real. It didn't feel like a dream experience. Um, I'd had plenty of dreams before. Um, and so I was experiencing that um, as well. And, and so all these little pieces uh, during the day and during the night um, were happening to me. And it took a few years to realize, um, thankfully, finally, um, a actually a sports therapist at Boston College where I was in law school, um, she identified that that, um, that I might have cataplexy with, um, when I was describing that my knees were buckling with laughter. And so then I learned that cataplexy, um, that knee buckle with laughter was a symptom of narcolepsy and realized I was experiencing all the symptoms over a few years. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Some of the symptoms sounds quite scary, actually. Oh, extremely scary. Um, you know, so one of the symptoms, sleep paralysis and those hypnagogic hallucinations, those are not um, unique to narcolepsy. Like about a third of people experience those. Uh, sensations of feeling like they've woken up, but they can't move their body yet. And um, it just happens much more frequently uh, and consistently for people with narcolepsy. But it is always interesting when I talk to people that don't have narcolepsy and they, you know, maybe they went through a period where they were sleep deprived. Uh, and so they did experience that sleep paralysis and they'll say, oh my God, that was the scariest thing I've ever felt in my whole life. And uh, I just kind of have to laugh and say, yeah, that's like happens to me all the time. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and the cataplexy, um, you know, it was really terrifying to, as that got worse from a knee buckling to a complete collapse to the ground where I couldn't move for 30 seconds to a full minute, but I was conscious in my head and I could hear everything happening around me. I just couldn't move my body, um, was the longest seconds and minutes of my life. Wow, yes, especially happens when you laugh, when there's emotion, up and downs, and uh, um, that sounds quite hard to deal with, that you temporarily lose control of your body. Right. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's extremely, um, you know, there was one day where my boyfriend at the time, he actually had to carry me to bed in his arms, and that felt like a really big low of realizing that I couldn't even walk. Mm. Uh, so it was, it was very scary. Yeah. So when did you start realizing or noticing these symptoms? Do they just one day suddenly show up? I think the cataplexy started around age 21 um, after I graduated from college and the hypnagogic hallucinations and sleep paralysis, you know, that kind of like burglar experience that was around mm -hmm. the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I think my sleepiness was probably the first symptom I experienced. If I look back now at my college experience, um, I think that I was experiencing some excessive sleepiness, probably starting around 18 years old. Um, but it took a, that was just very invisible and hard to identify. So even as it got really, really bad when I was in my first year of law school at age 22 and 23, I thought I actually maybe didn't have like the willpower to get through law school. Like maybe I wasn't determined enough because I something just wasn't connecting. I wasn't able to get through my coursework. 
And so it took a really long time to think that maybe that actually had to do with sleepiness or sleep. Yeah. So at first you questioned yourself, but then realized there possibly interpretation of that that is out of your control. Right. And that's I think part of my passion behind you know founding Project Sleep is I don't want other people have to to have to have that experience of like thinking that they don't have the willpower or they're not strong enough um, for you know life or whatever they want to take on in life. Um, because I think there's kind of two phases. One was my own understanding that like I need to figure out something was wrong with me. And then once I figured out something was wrong with me and I started talking to doctors about it, you know, I really am passionate that we need to make sure that primary care doctors and general practitioners are familiar um, enough to, to recommend people that might be experiencing a sleep disorder to see a sleep specialist. Um, so there's kind of like two phases of self-realization. And then, you know, once you're in, once you're starting to complain or, you know, bring this uh, up to doctors that they take it seriously and help you get to sleep specialists. Yes, yes, I totally agree. I think a lot of time, even as a psychologist, sometimes I see people coming in with bizarre uh, symptoms, just some the symptoms just like what you described. And uh, if as a provider, no matter in what field, we are able to just at least question it and ask them to go to maybe seek out help from a sleep specialist just to rule something out, just to clarify the picture that may really point out a good direction for, for the patients. Definitely. I think, you know, for myself and for a lot of other people with narcolepsy that I've spoken to, you know, I didn't actually, I thought I was a good sleeper because I slept, I slept, I could sleep, you know, I think we often think of uh, people with insomnia because it is the most prevalent condition. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you think, oh, well, and I knew I, and I didn't have, and I didn't snore. So I assumed that meant I didn't have sleep apnea, which I now know isn't necessarily true, but, um, you know, I thought I was a good sleeper. So I didn't think I, you know, that just didn't seem to make sense to me because it was affecting so much of my daytime life as opposed to my night. Um, you know, so it's just kind of even a misconception about the fact that something could be happening in your sleep that you're not getting the right, uh, you're not going through the right sleep cycle and getting the right quality of sleep. Um, no matter how many hours you're getting. Right. So even if we don't have any difficulties falling asleep or staying asleep, we don't snore, does not mean our sleep quality is really good. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned uh, you founded Project Sleep uh, and want to really help other people after figuring out your own journey. Can you explain a little bit more what Project Sleep is, what kind of uh, activities you do? Yeah, sure. So I'll just describe to you a little bit that after I was diagnosed, you know, I think was, I thought that, I thought I was going to start treatment and just like get better. (laughs) I thought that like, oh, this is just some small road bump um, and that treatment would be like, put me back to normal. And so I think there was also like a second uh, process of realizing that, Treatments did improve my symptoms, but they didn't erase my symptoms. So I still had symptoms and I had side effects and I was balancing all these different medications. And so I actually personally like reached a low myself, like psychologically a few months into my diagnosis when I realized, you know, this was a much bigger and more serious condition than I'd realized. And that's when I got really angry and, and thought, I hate narcolepsy. 
you know, this is just awful. Um, and I also started to sense that people thought it was a joke um, when mm. I would bring it up to people. And I, you know, I thought narcolepsy was a joke too before I was diagnosed. I didn't know anything about it. And so once I started telling uh, friends, you know, oh my gosh, we figured it out, I have narcolepsy, you know, it was really hard to get their reactions. Um, some people just changed the subject quickly and other people would take it like almost like so dramatically, like, oh my God, are you gonna fall asleep right now? Like, how about right now? What if you're doing this? Are you gonna fall asleep then? And, and it was just, it, it didn't seem to, I was slowly realizing, you know, it was a serious chronic condition and I didn't really have the words to articulate that to the people around me. And, um, and so I think, you know, in founding Project Sleep, I, you know, it was a lot more than just um, the, the experience of going a long time without diagnosis, but it was also that um, our society didn't take narcolepsy very seriously. And I realized it wasn't just narcolepsy, people didn't take sleep very seriously in general, you know, that, um, that it was something that I know in college for myself, people bragged about pulling all-nighters. And as I learned about the sleep cycle and how it was so active and all these processes were taking place at night, I realized we really have some major misconceptions um, about sleep in general. Uh, and so trying to make sleep cool is the tagline of Project Sleep um, and to really open people's eyes to the importance uh, of sleep and, and also that sleep disorders exist. Yeah, I like that to make sleep cool and starting from educating and talking about narcolepsy. And then I know you're expanding to all type of sleep disorders and there are a lot of great content right now. Yeah, you know, I think there are wonderful organizations in each of the disease areas. Uh, so Project Sleep's not trying to recreate the wheel of, of the great work that those different organizations are doing but that I, I think that the patient story, um, you know, with narcolepsy or with another sleep condition is so important as an educational tool. Um, you know, research actually shows that uh, storytelling is one of the most powerful ways to educate people, as opposed to sometimes I think it's often our inclination to throw facts and figures at people and say, you know, if you don't sleep two hours tomorrow night that, you know, you're going to be this percentage, um, you know, sleep deprived. And, and the, sometimes I think that's well-meaning, but that we've kind of seen that actually that some of those scientific facts don't change people's behaviors. Um, and so I hope to be leveraging um, through Project Sleep's programming, some more storytelling approaches um, that can get people to empathize uh, and understand uh, these invisible conditions and, you know, and think maybe they, you know, consider whether they could have one or a loved one could have a sleep disorder. Also just learn more about sleep in general. I really like that. I totally agree. I can even, I can imagine telling stories, telling someone's their own experience can, can really connect with other people who are still in the middle of figuring things out or trying to dealing or trying to deal with their uh, own sleep disorders. Uh, I think as a provider, we tend to, just like you said, throw out the, the figure to people, throw out the uh, like science to people. But um, I think a lot of times, like people don't really get it or don't really like it, right? 
And uh, so I'm wondering, what are some really outstanding stories that you have noticed to really help other people to really learn or、uh, think about narcolepsy differently? Yeah, well, so we run the、uh, Rising Voices of Narcolepsy program.、Um, so we train. I've trained over, I'd say, over sixty people at this point. It might be even more on how to share their story effectively via speaking or writing.、Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's some great essays online, and there are speakers across the country and actually around the world that are、um, even today.、Uh, one of our speakers is in Canada speaking to a high school class about her experience with narcolepsy.、Um, I think. Some of the stories that you know that that stay so close to my heart and kind of break my heart are the long delays to diagnosis.、Mm. Uh, so we had one of our rising voices speakers on Capitol Hill with us a few weeks ago, and she presented her story at the congressional briefing that we did. And she shared that it took.、Um, she was eight years old when she first experienced symptoms,、um, and the very first thing that she experienced、um, was that. She saw a spider in a door, and she got、uh, her knees buckled, and so she actually assumed she had arachnophobia、uh, because every、oh. time she saw a spider and felt a、uh, surprise,、mm -hmm. uh, her body became weak, and it became more things that you know when she was that when she was always happy, her face would go flat、um, because she wasn't able, and so these were all little experiences of cataplexy, and it got worse and worse over many many years. So she actually went 28 years before finding a proper diagnosis. Wow, Lexi, 28、uh, years. Yeah, and it just you know she still accomplished so much, and I'm in, but at the same time,、uh, that struggle、um, is just incomprehensible in a way because she wasn't able able to access treatments yet, and she wasn't able to be part of the community、um, for so many years.、Um, So yeah, <laughs> there yeah. are some great stories, and I think my favorite part, like I've told my story in a lot of ways through writing my book,、um, Wide Awake and Dreaming, a memoir of narcolepsy, and speaking at different conferences across the country and around the world. But I love training other people on sharing their story because everyone kind of has such unique analogies or different ways of describing、um, how they cope、uh, with the condition that. It just every single person has such value,、um, and I'm I kind of love all of their stories,、um, and I'm always constantly,、um, you know, they always are coming into my head, and I'm I'm thinking of them and trying to get them more speaking engagements so that they can、uh, do such great work. That's great. So,、uh, and I'm also happy you you wrote a book about all this. I will put your book on the show notes,、uh, so other people can find the link. Great conversation with Julie. So this is the first part of my interview with Julie, and she shared so many typical symptoms of narcolepsy, such as cataplexy, sleep paralysis, hypnagogic hallucination, and excessive daytime sleepiness. You can find more information about Project Sleep and their Rising Voice of Narcolepsy program on their website at project-sleep.com, and all this information, including a link to Julie's book, can be also found on our website in the show note, which is deepintosleep.co/episode/020. 
Next week, we will continue the conversation and explain more good resources and support groups all over the world to help people to connect with each other within narcolepsy community. And support is important. The treatment also hopeful. So stay tuned. Hopefully, the next episode will offer you more great resources. Thank you very much for listening today. I will see you all next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.
Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.